got a Bible, I'd like to invite you to grab it, and we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, I told you we're going to start getting into the weeds of what the church looks like, and this morning I want to talk about church leadership. Now, I know for some of you, you think, oh, this is going to be so exciting. Um, I will try to make it as exciting as I can. I'll, I'll yell half the sermon so it feels good, okay? Uh, before I do that, let me just say... Uh, a quick happy anniversary to my wife and whom I'm well pleased of 17 years today. She's still fine and uh, okay, let me move on. Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to pick it up in verse 11. This is Paul's writing, the church of Ephesus. And he's just kind of finished up a lot of doctrine and an incredible view of who Christ is for the first three chapters. And now he's really moved into some practical things, as is um, a lot of Paul's writings. He does this way. And now he's going to kind of deal with the church and the structure and the organization, I guess, if you could say, or the leadership of the church. And he's I think he's going to give us a few things that can help us out in our view of the church. Let's pick it up in verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Your translation there for shepherds may have elders or pastors. Those names are synonymous together. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried around by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up into love i know we just prayed but i want to pray again over the reading of god's word god again we, we say thank you again i ask lord that you would open up our eyes as we just sung and i pray god that your word would sharpen us I pray, Lord, that uh, for those of us who have been looking for some word, I thank you that you just spoke to us. And I thank you, God, that uh, all of your word is God-breathed. And I thank you, Lord, that it is here for truth. And I pray that you sanctify us in this truth of your word. And I pray that it, when everybody leaves out of here, they will see how glorious you are and that this guy speaking is just a mere human. In Jesus' name. Amen. In Jamestown, Guyana, in 1978, there is a guy by the name of Jim Jones. If you follow cults or if you like to study cults, you know this one very well. I wasn't born yet in 78, but I heard about this growing up. If that makes you feel really old, then okay, congratulations. Uh, this man, he convinced 900, almost 1,000 people to do something really insane. That is that this world is terrible, let's kill ourselves so that we could go on to the next. 
So he took Kool-Aid, mixed it with a poison, and he handed it out to everyone. And on tapes, you could hear people screaming in agony as they would take their last breath. This was a leader in a cult who would say something like this. What you need to believe in is what you can see. If you need me as a friend, I'll be your friend. If you need me as a father, I'll be your father. If you need me as a savior, I'll be your savior. And then he says, if you need me to be your God, I will be your God. They hand out poison. Everyone dies. This is church leadership 101 and how not to be a pastor. The reality of it is, is that many, we'll call them churches, but many places that gather are just one step away from being in a cult. They are following a man. They are not following the message of Christ and the gospel. And it may not be to the extreme of let's hand out the Kool-Aid and lace it with cyanide poison, but it may be to the extreme where this man that you're following is an embezzler of money. It could be that this guy, that you, and some of you, that may be your story, that you grew up in a church where they followed the man and not the message of Christ. And then the man would end up having an affair on his spouse. The man would end up in embezzling and getting audited and in, in trouble with the IRS. That was my story. Not me personally, but the guy I was following. Just clarify that real quick. Um, I have never been audited by the IRS, and I pray to God that never happens. They, I should give them any reason to audit me. And so what happens after these tragedies? If you didn't follow Jim Jones, you're still alive. And what happens? All churches are like this. You leave church. What we call you is a de-churched person because you think that this organized religion or church, whatever you want to call it, is all filled with terrible people. And so the problem is, is that we have a leadership and authority issue in the church. Let me recap before I get into this text so that I can kind of build upon in case you weren't here last week. We talked about this idea of what the church is. The church is a gathering of the called people who are gathered in fellowship with God and with other called believers. We are from near and far. We are white. We are black. We are Hispanic. We are brown. We're yellow. Never thought that through, but have you ever seen a yellow person? I haven't but God loves them too, according to the song. We are educated. We have high degrees. Some of us barely got a degree. We come from uh, lots of money. I don't think anybody comes from lots of money in this room. If you do, you don't tithe. We come from no money. All right, just had to throw that out there, okay? Because I'm not giving the offering Keith is. We come from all different types of backgrounds, but it doesn't matter what your background is. You are the church. If you have been called into the fellowship of God, you may say, well, I don't like church, but that's just like saying you don't like your mama. And I don't know. You may not like your mama, but that or whatever. Okay, so this is like you saying that I'll just take Jesus. I don't want that other stuff. Well, Jesus identified himself when he went to Saul. You remember the story in Acts? He goes to Saul. He says, Saul, Saul, why have you persecuted me? Did Saul ever lay a finger on Jesus? Who is he persecuting? The church. So that's basically what you're saying. I want nothing to do with Jesus when you say you do not want anything to do with the church. That's the church. We come from all backgrounds. We are a body. We come from backgrounds with... Um, liturgical 
backgrounds with, with organs only or with loud drummers. Those are preferences. I wasn't talking about Jude, I was talking about <coughs> That's the church. Now, we've got to get into the weeds of this. If this is the church, a gathering of people, how has God, I, I don't want to use this word, but I'm going to use it anyway, how has God organized this, this greatest living organism that has stood the test of time for 2,000 years and will not ever end the church? What has God done for the church? How has God uh, placed authority and leadership within the church. And I think Paul here is going to pick some things out for us that I think can help us in our right understanding, just so you know you're not signing up for the next Jim Jones. Just so you know that you're not signing up for some guy who's going to steal all your money, buy the jet, do whatever he wants to. This is how God has organized the structure of the church. And I want to look at this verse again in verse 11 and 12. And he gave the apostles, he gave the prophets, he gave the evangelists, he gave the shepherds, pastors, elders, however you want to say it, and teachers, to do what? To equip, to grow you. Church leaders are more concerned about your growth than they are about your comfort. Let me say that one more time so the folks up in the balcony can hear me. That a leadership group, a plurality of elders within a church, within any church, should care more about your growth than your comfort. If I, so I'm a dad. I was about to say, if I'm a dad. I'm a dad, okay, and I got three kids. Sometimes they, not sometimes, they're about their comfort and convenience. If I was a terrible dad, I would only coddle to their comforts and conveniences when they would say something like, well, I don't feel like taking out the trash. I'm like, oh, it's okay, buddy. You don't have to do it. Or, or when they say, well, I just want junk food. Or I just want sugar, 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 sugar. Is that your kid's story too? How terrible of a dad would I be to give them the heart disease at age 12 or 10 or 3? It would be ridiculous of a father if I wasn't there to grow them into men and into women that they will become. Spiritual leaders are more concerned about your growth than they are your comfort. And this is an anti-Western church model because a lot of churches believe that they've hired some guy to come in and to coddle them and to just pander them and to give you what you want, give you some kind of feel-good message and just come over there and wipe your booty for you and do all these weird things. That's the Western model of church, but that's not the model of church that God has instituted when it comes to authority. We care more about your growth, and sometimes that's going to sting. And sometimes that's going to outweigh your comforts. Why? Because we care more about equipping you and growing you than we do your comfort. This word equip comes from a Greek word that has an idea that um, you are being conditioned for fitness. I don't know if you've ever been conditioned for fitness for anything in your life. 
and I was a star quarterback in high school. Okay, that's a lie. Um, when, when I was in band, I had to get conditioned. <laughs> Just think about that, how painful that is when you are being conditioned physically for anything. It's painful. There's a growth to it. So look at what leadership in a church is after. <laughs> and this doesn't grow churches either, but they're after your painful growth in Christ. Paul always brings about this language that he's here for their growth. This is his language throughout all of his writings in the New Testament, where he would write them and he would just be real confronting them and, and bringing out the conviction and he would always end with his letters leading them to change, to grow in the grace and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 14, let me get to this other point here. So that we may no, may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So, so look at this other thing where where, what, what church leaders are about, they're about your, uh, I, I would call your theological stability. Why is Paul having to put this in almost every single one of his letters? Hey, be aware that there are some crazies out there and they will come in and infiltrate your church. Because he's caring more about this doctrine of the gospel because it can be quickly go astray really fast. It just takes one nut job to come in here and lead the whole church out in left field. But Paul here is like, if a true leadership in a church, a true structure, this plurality of elders in a church, they care more about the stability of our understanding of the gospel. Look what he says. Not so that you're tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine. And, and for, for this time, these winds of doctrine will be like, well, you got to be circumcised or uncircumcised. you got to cling to the law and adhere to all of, its, uh, all of the law and not adhere to all of the law. So, so all these doctrines coming in, and Paul's just wanting to set the tone right. It's the gospel. It's Jesus Christ is God. It's first things first. What are some of these doctrines these, that, that, have, that, that tickle our ears in our culture today? What are some of these things that we could just so easily fall into not knowing that we're being led to a damnable heresy? I mean, I think of the prosperity gospel, but I think of one that is even more damning than that, and that is just the message of comfort and convenience. Because comfort and convenience isn't as stupid as prosperity. The prosperity message is just plain stupid. And damning. Because what you have done is you have taken Jesus not as your sovereign king, but as your bellhop. But what we've done with the gospel of comfort and convenience is we've made all things about me. And if I don't get riches, that's fine. Still, the world is about me. The maturing Christian is not tossed about by every single new idea that comes out and about. Because there, the reality is there are religious quacks at your school, at your job. There may be a religious quack, 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 quack 
in this room ready to pounce. That's the reality. But the church leader's job is to call those wolves, is what Jesus would call them in the New Testament, would identify them as, to call them out for the wolf that they are. You notice about the occult, and I mentioned the occult maybe way too more than I should today, but if you notice that the occult, they do not try to win lost souls to Christ. Do you know who they pry on? Most cults, they'll, they'll pry on the weak Christian, the, the new convert. Have a new convert talk to a Mormon. Have a new convert talk to a Jehovah's Witness. And that new convert will believe that they are the same thing. They, they don't go out to the masses, these occults, to try to win souls for Jesus. They try to pry on the weak, and they bring them in and lead them down a road of hell. And it's damning to our souls. But the church leader is here. The elders are here in this church set up to protect you from all of these crazy beliefs that cults will have out there. Look at verse 15. Rather, thank God, I mean, that sounded really dark, but rather here, Paul says, speaking, I love this, truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Notice what the role of a church leader also is, is not to speak just truth, because if you just speak truth, then you're just a bully. Then your love is brutal, and ain't nobody got time for that. Truth in love. That's the role of a church leader. That's the role of a, of a person who is a church member. Truth in in love. And some folks, they just don't get that part. Some of us believe that it's just all love. Isn't that the, the, the doctrine of our culture? Well, we don't want to offend anybody. It's just love. We're afraid to offend people. We're afraid to speak the truth because we want to do what? Grow our church? We want to grow our church with a bunch of Imbeciles who know nothing about the truth of God? Sure, we got to bring the people in. But we just don't leave them there. That is not a church leader. We speak the truth, but we do it with grace and with love. Proverbs 27, 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Verse 16 says, From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Here's the other role of a church leader. They cultivate or they foster community. Notice Paul here is using again this language of the body. Now, I used this uh, imagery last week, and I, I told myself, don't do it again, but it's the same imagery of how your body functions. Every part of your body is there, and when one body part stops working, you feel it. Even the insignificant parts of your body. I gave this illustration last week, and I pray to God it doesn't backfire on me again, but I, I talked about earlier this year, I have, I'm 38 years old. I have never broken a bone until 2020. 
I was chasing my children and my toe connected with a metal chair and I had this weird purple toe for four months. This week, it was dark in my house. And the toe beside it, I believe, is now broke. It's purple, it's a little swollen. Who knows? Let me tell you something. I feel that pain right now, even putting pressure on it. This, this is the reality of the church. Where even where there's one thing that you look at and you view as insignificant, wait till that person is hurting. Wait till you, who are the insignificant person that you think you're the insignificant person, wait till you hurt. You feel it. It's painful. That's the imagery that Paul loves to illustrate throughout the New Testament, that the body of Christ, I liken them to a body, an actual body, where you have all these body parts, and all of them are aligned together, moving itself together to do one function. And where you have one part of the body that refuses to go, you got a problem. You have a problem. We realize that as members of one body in a local church, we belong to each other. We affect each other, and we need each other. Note this emphasis on, on love that Paul gives. Forbearing one another in love. That's, that's back up in 4 verse 2, I believe. Speaking the truth in love, verse 16. The edifying of itself in love. That's verse 16 that we just read. Why? Why is he using love, body parts here? I didn't know y'all were going to get like a biology lesson, anatomy. See, I don't even know. <laughs> Why? Because love, got to get this love, is a circulatory system of the body. Love is the circulatory system of the body of Christ. Where you don't have it, about to go wrong. Think about this when he's, when he's talking about how we are all together. This idea is this idea of community with each other. Idea that we are a part of each other. And that when we notice one is missing, we go after them. When we know one is hurting, we go after them. This is what Paul is trying to paint to us. It is not biblical to be cut off from a church. It's just not. You are called to be in fellowship with God and with the church. Why does, why does God entrust, or who does God entrust to do this? Who does God entrust to equip you? Who does God entrust to, to, to bring stability in the body? Who does God entrust to bring truth and love? Who does God entrust to foster community. Who does he do that? Pastors and elders. The leadership. The authority of the church. That's who he does this through. So my problem is that pastors, see, we've, we've been this in this western mentality where we've been categorized as men who just coddle. Men who will just do whatever you tell them to do. 
did not take the shepherd's cane and yank you by the neck sometimes to bring you back into the fold. This idea of shepherd, it comes from uh, the word pastor, and, and you'll see Paul using the word elder, pastor. Those are the same thing. So that means, here's what that means for, for this church. Like right now, currently, I'm still your pastor, but I'm also an elder. That also means that the men who are elders here, they're your pastors. With or without me, they're still your pastors. When you hear the word shepherd, you may think, I don't know, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Here's what a shepherd looks like. Here's what a pastor looks like. Here's what an elder looks like. If I could just be so super practical and just give you my overview, Matthew Thor's overview of what an elder pastor looks like. We smell like the sheep. I don't smell like Willie, but I smell like some of you. What, what else does a pat? what is shepherd, what, what else do they do? They correct the sheep. They, they lead the sheep. In fact, uh, many people would believe that back in this time when, when a shepherd was leaving, would lead his sheep, sometimes he would be a little bit in front of them, but he would call them out with a whistle. And they would hear him, and they would know that was his voice, and they would follow him. Shepherds do what? They, they kill any threat that's around. Now, I'm not telling you guys to rise up with your AKs and your Glocks and all that stuff, and let's start a compound here. That's not what I'm suggesting. Sounds kind of fun, but... <laughs> but then that's like cult-like, and I told you I wasn't going to do that. <laughs> but if you'd like to do it secretly... <laughs> what do they do? They kill wolves. They call them out. Hey, there's a heretic over there. Watch out for him. Don't let him into the flock. There's somebody preaching a false gospel. Don't let them in. They, they teach. They lead. They guide. That's what an elder looks like. That's what a shepherd does for the church. And who did God place in the, for the authority of the body? Who did he entrust to do that? The shepherds and the elders and these teachers and these pastors. So what's the goal here from church leadership? Why are we being equipped? What are, we, what are we being equipped for? To grow the church in depth. To grow the church with people. With more lives. Whether I'm here or not, the church can't stop with its growth. The church has to continue grow itself itself up some of you have probably experienced bad church leadership maybe the pastor that you came from was just a turd maybe the pastor where you came from was an embezzler maybe he committed adultery I worked for a pastor who ended up being kicked out his denomination because of some very crazy stuff. I get it. I've come from those things. That's unhealthy, and that's what happens when a church is built upon a person rather than the person of Jesus Christ. Let our story continue to be that we're a church that's built on not a personality, not on a preference, not on convenience, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
reasons why 10 years ago, well, I say this, but really it had a lot to do with one of the reasons why 10 years ago when we planted the church was, was because of this, this idea that, that this area needed godly people to lead them. This area needed a refuge for those who have been hurt by churches, for those who have been uh, hurt by a pastor. And we realized, like, this is one of the reasons why we believe God is calling us to this. And he hasn't stopped. He will not stop. My challenge for you is to remain faithful. My challenge for you is to continue to grow, continue. And here's an idea we don't like, to submit yourself to the elders of this church. And let them lead you, let them guide you, let them teach you, let them feed you. And come and play. Join in what God is doing here. He's been faithful for 10 years. 